0: My money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank.
1: <laughs> Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's blood. I'm as mad as hell,
0: and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke
1: will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior.
0: Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or Board of Trustees. Well, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. This is Barry James Dyke, and I'm here with my uh, engineer, handsome engineer, Phil Kleiger. That's me. Yes, and uh, waiting for my sidekick, Will, to return from Europe. But uh, uh, we have a great guest uh, here today. We're going to have Ted Benner. We're going to be talking to him from... uh, from his um uh while well, he's in Connecticut, and we're going to talk about the the four k, which is um is something to talk about because really, folks, it's really the only retirement plan you have these days, unless you're a high end executive or a government employee. You're pretty much on your own. And uh, one of the things would you want to do here at the show is really tell you what's really going on. This is something you were not going to hear on. Um, regular uh, mainstream media you're not going to happen but um and this is also a pure community pure uh, volunteer station and um what are the, the what are the things uh phil how can people uh, donate to this uh, show
1: you can go to org slash donate or go to the website org and click on the donate now
0: button it's a pleasure to have you b- back on ted and um you know, I know who, what you've done, your work, but uh, we had you on about a year ago, but you've become to be known as the father of the 401K, which is essentially the centerpiece of retirement planning today. Could you tell people, our audience, a little bit of how you got there, to be known as the father of the 401K? Uh,
1: Barry, actually, um, what, I, what I was involved in doing was uh, creating the first 401K savings plan. And, you know, that plan was effective uh, January 1st of 1981, and what I did was I linked the idea of a matching employer contribution and the opportunity for employees to make pre-tax contributions to a little section of the Internal Revenue Code that, uh, you know, didn't say anything about being able to do either of those two things, but it also didn't say that thou shalt not. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a quick, uh, I guess, explanation of uh, – you know, how it came about.
0: Yeah, and what was your background prior to this, Ted? Just so people know that you're an expert at what you do. You were,
1: you know- I, I'm a, uh, you know, my career was spent uh, as an employee benefit consultant, helping employers, you know, design and run retirement programs of all types, uh, Barry. I, you know, I did a lot of legal work, even though I wasn't an attorney by training, you know, did actuarial work. Uh, because I did, uh, you know, mathematics uh, was my area of concentration. So so that was kind of the background.
0: So now, Ted, you know, I was just thinking about this, and I was kind of putting together some questions last night when I was thinking about us talking today. But now, uh, let me ask you a question, Ted. And uh, you're the creator of the 401K, and um, I think only about 9% of the population has DB, defined benefit pension plans, which are guaranteed annuity now. Um, but you created this huge, I mean, gigantic trillion-dollar industry uh, uh, in the 401K or the 403B or 457 plans, which are very similar. Um, So you made these huge companies like Vanguard and Fidelity and State Street and J.P. Morgan. You made them hundreds of billions of dollars, and you've actually, uh, uh, you know, and you made the business of Wall Street uh, for raising their money much, much more lucrative, has anyone ever call up and said thank you, Ted Benna?
1: I, you know, you're uh, certainly uh, very in- interesting observation. The, uh, you know, the mutual fund business was pretty much small mom pop operations before 401k. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it made that business. And, you know, the the answer is no. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, John Vogel, who you know from Vanguard, uh, you know, who, uh, you're pretty much you know, created that and pioneered uh, indexing. Uh, he, he generally uh, had a significant dislike for 401K, and he uh, you know, still does, to the best of my knowledge, which is a bit puzzling because it's uh, clearly made Vanguard what they are today.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, but it's made it. But it's also too, Ted, um, as to say, in the, in the old days, I mean, this is, I guess, when I started my career and when you started your career, the business of raising money for Wall Street for initial new new companies going public um, was very you know was very uh, very complicated and and you had armies of brokers you know selling mom and pop stores and all that stuff uh, throughout the country I mean how many regional brokerages there were hundreds if not thousands and so if someone like Ford or uh, went public or whatever they just had to have an army of brokers to peddle these things to the public um, but now with the advent of the 401 k um, in the mutual industry now, it's much much easier for Wall Street. They only have to call up maybe two three dozen firms. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's certainly institutionalized the uh, you know the business in that regard, and uh, you know it's certainly resulted from mi- millions of uh, participants who are covered by four hundred one k plans, pumping a lot of money into the market, and uh, you know the total total amount that. 401k is generated when you consider amounts have been rolled out into uh iras is you know it's over 10 trillion dollars and uh, you know that's a heck of a lot of money to be uh, you know pumped uh, pumped into the stock and bond market
0: yeah and um now i have a lot of questions for you but do you think they've been the best of stewards uh i mean this is my whole thing because um you know the old days when we were grew up you know uh, in the financial service, because you had, a, you had, a, I think, a fiduciary or a re- legal responsibility to really look out for the best thing uh, for a client. But with the advent of the 401 k, is that kind of disappeared, Ted?
1: Bar- Barry, the um, yeah, it's kind of a complex uh, issue. I uh, I have a new book coming out, and I uh, one of the things I've done in it is included the history of 401 k and more specifically, the histories of, of fees and how they've evolved. And, you know, the um, employers have a legal responsibility to act solely in the best interest of the participants. That's the fiduciary standard that employers are subject to. But, Barry, i got to tell you that the vast majority of employers uh, – you know they don't even know about that standard and they certainly do not adhere to it and one of the reasons we've gotten to where we are in terms of um, fees being much higher than what they should be is you know the fact that employers have been asleep at the switch on that and uh, you know that evolved over a period of time Um, one of the things i explained in the book was in the early 80s i interviewed the HR director of a, a big fortune 500 company. And, you know, he was sharing with me how they had moved their 401k from having it institutionally managed and priced by the same firm that managed their, their pension assets, mm-hmm. you know, and where the cost participants vary uh, only, um, you know, 10 or 15 basis points yep. to, to, uh, Fidelity. And, you know, he, uh, you know, one of the reasons he did that was because he was under pressure to shave expenses off his budget, and by making that move into what became known as bundled arrangements, yep. he eliminated $100,000 of expenses off his budget. Yep. Cost to participants went from point one oh percent to 1% on average, yep. you know, 10 times as high, and You know, some of the justification for that uh, was that, well, participants wanted name brand funds, they could look up in the paper and so forth. So, you know, to some degree, it was reacting to participant pressure, but it was driven, you know, largely by getting the expense off corporate books. Yeah, that's that started a trend, you know, I mean, it that started and it only got much worse over the years, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons.
0: I'm I'm curious, uh, Ted. You probably know this better than I do, but um, from, can can the corporation still? I know it used to be the case where you could t- essentially you could carve out the expenses of a, running a 401k, um, and then deduct off the bottom line, which wouldn't affect the the fund itself. Can they still do that? I don't know. Can they do that anymore?
1: Are you talking about you know internal expenses? Yeah, in other words, in- like the management y- y- fees. Y- and y- yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, they uh, what what happened uh, was these big companies, you know, finally woke up to the fact that you know the mutual fund companies were getting a heck of a lot more money for administering the plans than what they should be getting. So what happened was uh, there was a creation of something called RISA buckets, where you know the fund companies would make available you know in, into a bucket, in effect. <laughs> A money bucket that they would fill up with some of the fees they were collecting that could be then utilized by the employers to offset expenses that they incurred, and that would include things like you know audit fees, yeah. even internal cost, you know staffing companies uh, had, you, you know overseeing the 401k plan, etc. And it uh, it was pretty ugly, and of course, you know that's the practice that. You know, opened the door to these large lawsuits, and you know, even Fidelity got sued themselves.
0: Yeah, they lost by their own (laughs)
1: participants. (laughs) You know, for excessive expenses, made of all things.
0: Yeah, matter of fact, I know. Actually, the funny thing is, is the uh, uh, the the guy uh, Jerry something. He's the attorney who's the kind of the lead uh, plaintiff, if you will, who um, uh, gee whiz, I can't think of, but he's actually. uh, He's actually used some of my research, Ted, in my books uh, in court, which <laughs> I didn't know. You know, I didn't know, but he says he's actually used my research in court. And he's—I uh, don't know if he was the guy who sued Fidelity, but but even Fidelity uh, lost charging their own employees too much money. Am I correct? Yeah, they did.
1: You, 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 absolutely, yeah. And I, uh, Barry, I um, had the opportunity to uh, serve as, a, as an expert witness in you know uh, a couple of cases and yeah one of them uh is a it's a pretty tragic example. I won't mention the name, but again it's certainly a well known fortune five hundred company and yeah. you know they were their suit originated around uh, company stock is the primary issue yeah but when when you have the opportunity in a suit like that uh, as you uh, i'm sure are aware, you have access to all the corporate records you know they have to be. The layers have to be peeled off and you know made available during the discovery process. So one of the things I had the opportunity to review were the minutes from the committee who was overseeing the plan for this large five Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. And Barry, between the um, you know their pension plan and their 401k, they were overseeing a couple billion dollars of assets. Yeah, a lot of money. And I'll just make one point about the minutes. Uh, you, know, you know, kind of the most absurd was the the minutes from their annual review, where they gathered to oversee, you know, the management of these funds, lasted only half an hour. You know, the minutes had they were dumb enough to put in the minutes the beginning and ending time, and they spent half an hour in their annual meeting, you know, overseeing. $2 billion of investments, which were, you know, it was incredible. I mean, typically, you know, I, I've been involved in running some of those meetings with companies with a heck of a lot less money involved in what they were overseeing. And, you know, they, you, you usually would run half a day or something like that. But, uh, you know, this was just indicative of, uh, you know, the uh, lack of effort they were putting into that responsibility.
0: And this this troubles me to, this is why I'm so... Um, uh, you know um, thank you again for being our, our guest and how can people find out more about you Ted can they do they go on the web go to 401k Bennett is my correct
1: yeah yeah that'll work or or Benna 401k either one yep yep but um, Get to my website yeah I have one there one of the things is you know is the history uh, of 401k uh, shorter version than what I have in the book coming out but uh, you know, at least the basic history is there
0: now now luckily Ted you've been a great professional and uh, and you know, you have be able to make a good living at the business, but um, <clears throat> and uh, but this is m- kind of my question, which which the, what the Wall Street Journal I don't know if you get the journal, but they did a, a pretty good piece last week. And uh, and of course, I've been talking about this for a number of years is that um, uh, and I want to see uh, if your book addresses this. The American, uh, the American is, is really kind of in a they're real. we're in a really a big, big retirement mess, aren't we? What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, the... Um, the no, no, no question, there's serious issues out there, Barry, and Barry, I, I started in the defined benefits side of the business. So yeah. I know that business well, okay? And, you know, I cover in the book the reason why that system is dying, but first of all, the basic problem with any defined benefit system, and this includes social, social security, state and local plans, mm-hmm. and then private employer plans, is that historically, you know, the employer entities have been legally permitted to promise benefits that they haven't properly funded. And so as a result of that, there's a widely held perception that participants in pension plans they're bulletproof. You know, they're financially secure, their benefits. And that's certainly not true. As a matter of fact, they have as much risk as they do if they were in 401K plans. They just don't know it. You know, they're not aware of the risk that they have. And, you know, it's one of the things, uh, again, I've covered in this book coming out, the, uh, you know, the fact that that's uh, basically hidden from them.
0: Yeah, now that's a good, great, great question. I'm gonna. want to talk more about that, Ted, because um, <laughs> as you know, I kind of pick. I pick on airlines. Uh, these airlines seem to go in and out of business uh, all the time. They and they try to dump the pension obligations onto onto the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And there's a similar uh, entity in the UK. I call the Pension Pension Protection Bureau or something like that. Um, that people think that the, uh, you know, pensions are are, are guaranteed, even, even if they go insolvent. Uh, but that's not the truth. That's not true, necessarily true, is it?
1: What what happens in insolvency here in the U.S. is the um, a, a large percentage of the benefits are backed by the uh, PBGC, you know, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Uh, not all benefits are covered, but, you know, a more significant issue there is that PBGC has always had less assets than liabilities. Yeah. So, so the you know that's one of the reasons why you have financial risk if you're in a pension plan today, because you know PBGC ultimately doesn't have enough assets to back up the uh, you know the commitments that they're on the hook for. And a good example, you you may be aware that you know some municipalities have uh, been. Fairly highly publicized of, of you know seriously putting limits on pensions et cetera and facing crises, but hasn't received a lot of attention. The Eastern State Teamsters during yeah. even <laughs> the Obama administration, which is uh, you know really surprising, legislation was enacted permitting the trustees to reduce benefits by forty to fifty percent because they're running out of money. You know, and that was a uh, uh, a multi-employer union-run plan, and, um, you know, the, um, the court stepped in, the, the backers of pension plans, so, you know, different organizations like the Pension Rights Center and others have sued, you, you know, to try and override that legislation, and, you know, they got a victory in one court, and it's going, getting bounced up, but, you know, regardless of the outcome of that legislation, if it doesn't stand, the problem is, you know that pension uh, entity is going to run out of money, and the question is, well, who, where's it going to come from? You know, where the, where's the shortfall going to come from? And um, you know, it's it's a big issue. It's not going to go away.
0: Yeah, and what what kind of amazes me too is that also we have the issue of uh, what I call pension dumping. You're familiar with that, Ted? Yeah, uh, yeah, you
1: know, absolutely. Yeah, because sure.
0: the, you know, because if I believe the Central States Pension Plan, and I, I could be wrong, uh, but I. Uh, research this pretty well, is that um, I think it's part of one of the big uh, employers involved in that uh, s- central states was the uh, Hostess Bakeries. Remember them? the Ding Dongs and Twinkies and all mm-hmm. that stuff? Okay. Now, this is get this one. It's, I believe uh, you know, it was owned by several private equity firms, and they went through two bankruptcies. And now uh, Hostess, I believe, was able to dump their pension obligations of the central states onto the BBGC. And then, so these private equity financiers, you know, got the new company without the pension obligations, hallelujah. And now they've, you know, they've done all this financial engineering. And um, so there's been a lot of pension dumping, like Distant Hostess. And then another one, which I I think is uh, incredible. I don't know if you're familiar with Remington Arms, it was a uh, a big gun cartel run by Cerberus Capital, um, a private equity firm. They just dumped um, one of the divisions pension uh obligation under the pbgc as well matter of fact it was the large one of the largest creditors in in bankruptcy but mm-hmm. did did people really know this i mean i i kind of follow this stuff but no,
1: I, no it's it's certainly not known and again this is one of the tragedies barry is that and and we you, you know we see it during uh campaign time i mean uh you know the uh fact that we have candidates running for, uh, you know, for president to say, hey, we need to get back to the good old days, you you know, where we had these pensions that everybody was covered by and, you know, they got, uh, you just retired and you collected. And, you know, the first thing that's wrong about that is never more than 30 percent of the private workforce was ever covered by traditional pension benefits. But, you know, the system that's still there today has this huge financial shortfall, uh, you know, around it. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's, uh, it's ignored. I mean, the public isn't aware of it and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, Barry. I mean, it's, uh, it's an outrage actually. And, and I, I mean, I'll just take a, I don't know if you're, you're familiar, you, you know, uh, I'm sure that most traditional pensions have, have converted to what are called cash balance plans, yep. which really don't have any element of the old guaranteed traditional pension. So, You know, new workers today who are even supposedly covered under pension plans, they don't look anything like the old pension plans did. And a good example of this, I was asked uh, about a year ago from a friend from church to look look at his pension. You know, he's getting closer to retirement and wondering what to do about it as he gets there. And I said, well, give me your summary plan description for your plan. And in there, Barry, it said... You're covered by a defined benefit plan, defined benefit pension plan, but this is also a cash balance pension plan, and your benefit is determined by the credits that are the the credits made to your account. But it isn't a real account; it's not actually a real account, (laughs) and there may not actually be enough money in that account to pay your benefit. So can you imagine that nonsense?
0: You see it all the time, Ted. Uh, on, you know, it's just um, it, you, you see it all the time. And we're just talking about the the, the private the uh, the private sector um, uh, defined. Well, that's a church. I, the church would be a private sector uh, pension plan, but um, when you look into uh, now, we we we're in. You live in Pennsylvania, am I correct? Yes. Okay, and, and uh, I think right now you're in Connecticut. But when you start looking at the state pension plans, the government plans, the the private pension plans look like they're you know like they're shining scholars. But the 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 public pension plans are an incredible mess.
1: Yeah, and and uh, you know that's at sort a of point just to put it in perspective, Barry, where we have had a prolonged bull stock market. Yeah. So you know the real issue here is, what is it going to look like when we have the next bear? And you you and I have both been around long enough to yeah. know that we always have bears and bulls. You know, that uh, y- you know, the bulls are not going to run forever. I, I've been in my presentations around the country over the last five years or more saying, hey, our retirement security over the next 20, 30 years is dependent upon a healthy economy and a pretty robust stock market yeah yeah, you know, that's what we need uh you know without bear bear markets and um you know that's uh you know that's never happened so you, you know it's uh, pretty pretty scary to think you know what the met Bex, uh bear market uh potentially would do around all of this
0: and i have a friend of mine uh who, who's an actuary and uh he's a good guy a really good guy so these pension these public pension plans just have amazing un- underfunded <laughs> liabilities if you look at Illinois I mean it's just or Connecticut or it's 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 horrific I mean they'd shut all these ones down if they're in the private sector um but there's gonna be a real problem if if we have a market correction this other friend of mine he's co- calls himself a recovering actuary he says the the, the real n- poop's gonna hit the fan uh if if we have a, a downturn in the market well
1: well, it, well, absolutely absolutely
0: you know so it's a um, so let us what so tell us about your new book uh, when when it'll be available uh
1: Barry the title of it is uh 401k 40 years later and the reason for that title is this fall will be the 40th anniversary of when the enabling legislation was uh enacted and uh it uh, should be uh, out uh, by uh, September 1st, perhaps a little bit earlier even. But uh, yeah, it will be pretty bright, uh, widely available.
0: And you know, uh, so I don't know if you addressing the book. What do you see as potential fixes, Ted, uh, to the current system now? Because if, if the 401k was only even when you designed it, it, was only meant to be like I think I think a retirement system as a Christmas tree and. And uh, 401k was really only meant to be like an ornament on the Christmas tree, but now it's the main event. So, w- any ideas for potential fixes for it? Because I just
1: uh, see- yeah, Barry. I mean, quite, 401k was a fluke. It was you know never intended uh, y- you know to be what it is, and uh, yet it's you know the backbone for most people uh, now. And so it's not adequate uh no question about it It was never you know never intended to be sufficient so you know people uh need need to be looking at other ways of building streams of income uh you know other than just a a 401k and hope, hopefully social security and then you know it might be uh yeah you know i am uh, you know personally actually my biggest assets uh, real real estate at this stage of my life. And, yeah. uh, you know, we have a nice little farm as an investment property. It's got a couple of rentals uh, on it. Uh, you know, uh, def- definitely, um, you know, my, my opinion, be- you know, people uh, as they're coming up for retirement, uh, you know, need to be looking at other alternatives. And certainly one of them is yourself. You know, I'm hey, I'm 76 now, Barry. You're doing it's, awesome. I'm you... not sure how you, you, old you are, but yeah, I'm still not quite able to picture something uh, called full retirement. You know, I uh, enjoy being actively engaged and productive, and uh, you know, I think uh, you know a lot of people maybe uh, need to think about uh, some form of a you know productive activity beyond what uh, might be considered a you know normal retirement age.
0: You know, but you know, Ted, uh, I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't ever recover reading anything in the Bible about retirement age. I don't know about you, but uh, have, you, have you seen anything about your 401k, your DB plan in
1: the well, Bible? Well, my face is a big part of my life, and I do say that our Creator never intended us to spend 20, 30 years kind of idly doing nothing.
0: Yeah, but that's what's being sold to the American public today. I mean, uh, I, I just don't believe in it. And um, and quite frankly, today, you probably know more about retirement systems than you did, say, 20, 30 years ago. Am I correct, Ted?
1: Hey, at seventy six, uh, certainly it's a lot more personable. No question about that, Barry.
0: Yeah, so, so you know, one friend, you know, so one of the things which I did in my research, and I think I've sent you my books, is that what I found out, Ted, is that um, a lot of the things that people think which are which are bad, um, like life insurance and annuities, uh, people think they're a bad, bad thing. But as you know, uh, corporate America uses them all the time. And as a matter of fact, when I researched it. Which I think was the original um, uh, who, Provident Mutual, which I guess was based, I guess in in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, they were the ones, really, in the Lutheran Brotherhood were the first ones to really design pension plans. But they were essentially life insurance products, Ted, which were endowments. It, it's still a pretty good thing. I'm not saying it's the panacea, but it's still a darn good thing because they work.
1: Yeah, I I st- uh, started at Provident Mutual actually, Barry. Oh, you in, did, in Philadelphia in, in their pension department and. Yeah, for for most people retiring, uh, there's a very real concern that hey, I'm not going to have enough. You, you know, I have to worry about whether this will run out before I do. And so, definitely considering purchasing a fixed income annuity, you know, where you get a check for life, should be a consideration, you know, for many retirees. And you know, the markets changed. I mean, there, are, you know, there are a lot, a lot of different. Uh, Ways of being able to do that today that to provide a lot of more flexibility than what it used to be, and uh, so that certainly should be uh, you know factored into people's thinking. And uh, you, you know, I'm I'm concerned right now, and it's one of the things I have covered in the book that uh, those approaching retirement or already retired who are following the traditional investment approach that they're given are taking on a lot more risk than what they can afford to take. And, you know, my opinion, uh, particularly considering that where the bond market, stock market is right now, that thinking of things like, you know, a guaranteed income check from an annuity or a fixed rate annuity, or even, you know, old seed fashion CDs that you can, yep. you know, now get 3% on and not worry about uh, loss uh, is worth considering. Uh, you know, I, in my opinion, uh, you know, when you're retired or you're about to retire, it's a lot more important to focus on protecting what you have than maximizing return.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is, and I think I emailed you, uh, Ted, uh, yesterday, of um, actually major corporations are doing this, okay? And, uh, of course, uh, I, I, people have asked me to, to write a retort to, uh, maybe you can get your, uh, you can chime in on this, but... Uh, Uh, These guys like Ken Fisher and Dave Ramsey and and Susie Ormond and uh, even uh, Elizabeth Warren have said annuities are bad for you uh, when, conversely, um, you have your major corporations, Ted, like General Motors and Verizon and and British Airways and, uh, uh, you know, even the Church of England has bought an annuity to, to fund its pension obligations. Do you think many it, people really know this? I mean, so so on the one hand you have all the the, the press being the 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 crap out of annuities, but on the other hand um, yeah. uh, they do the exact opposite. Did, are, are yeah, people-
1: hey, Barry, Barry, it's like anything else. There there's good and bad. You know, there are, there uh. are horrible annuities. Yeah, <laughs> and there's some good ones. So you know, usually the ones that get beaten up the most are what are called you know the variable annuities. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Uh,
1: which you know, are pretty much nothing more than taking, you know, mutual funds and adding another layer of fees on top of them and, uh, you know, have the same risk exposure pretty much with added cost and not a lot of benefits gained. And, uh, you know, so they, they generally get a pretty bad rap and, you know, I don't you know, disagree with that, but uh, you know, there are a lot of other, other annuities, you know, that, have greater security that uh, people need to be thinking about.
0: Yeah, because you know, because the life co- companies just by design, Ted, as you know, uh, they can't lever their balance sheets like these banks did. I mean, they you know they're full. You know, if they put if people deposit money into a life insurance policy or annuity, it's fully reserved. They can, they can't you know inflate the balance sheet like a bank can. Yeah,
1: yeah, Barry, that's that's one of the things I I have in the book is why if you're you're in a company pension plan. Or even a municipal plan, I've documented the reasons. You know, there, there's there are a number of them, but I'm not going to hit on one of them here. Why you have less investment risk if you pull the money that you're able to get out of that and go and you know, and if you want an income stream rather than taking it from your company pension, you know, or the state pension fund, that you take the money and you go out and annuitize. With a top-rate insurance company, you have greater financial security than you do otherwise. For the reasons you're mentioning, your your annuities is backed by the assets of that insurance company, which are significant. But beyond that, you also have you know the state insurance funds yep. as a backstop. Well, the state insurance funds have assets and not liabilities. You know the PBGC has. A lot more liability than they have assets. You don't have that, you know, that problem when you're, uh, you know, you're in a private annuity.
0: Yeah, and you, and you. Why you do you want to know? I don't know if you found it, but everyone out there, you can. Uh, and actually, uh, I actually researched this, Ted. Uh, I, the senator, U, uh, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren, out of uh, Massachusetts, who essentially said all these annuity producers are bad folks. Um, you know, I research it, and anyone can go on to it, OpenSecrets.org. It's a matter of public information. You know where Elizabeth Warren and her uh, law professor husband have most of their money in, Ted? Think of this, and she's worth about five, six, $7 million. You know where most of the liquid assets are in, Ted?
1: Oh, probably in high uh, cash value life insurance. Well,
0: close. I think she owns that, but, but her largest assets, her and her husband, are in fixed annuities, Ted. I couldn't hmm. believe it. Then if— and if anyone, w- um, yeah. So, but this is so. It's, it's you know. So I see these people like Ken Fisher, uh, or you know um, uh, Elizabeth Warren saying these guys are bad people. But we, he, she herself has you know that somewhere between uh, two and four uh, million in, in fixed annuities. So um, uh, with Cref, and uh, so it's just, uh, it's just it's just I just see incredible. Um, uh, hypocrisy you know and this is uh again i'm not making this up for people don't believe me go to opensecrets.org and go to the personal financial statement of elizabeth warren um but did do you see now let me ask you a question ted you've been you've been uh, plowing this a long time do you see and this is your own personal opinion but do you see a personal bubble i mean i see we're kind of in another one this is my personal i mean debt levels all-time high margin debts at all-time high um people have less savings. Do you think we're in another bubble period? I mean, what do you think?
1: Barry, what's in play can't continue. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it just can't continue. I mean, you you have people like David Walker, it's a name you probably know. He's um, a
0: friend, yeah, a personal friend too, he, yeah.
1: I mean, I've known David for a long time. You uh, yeah, when he took the position as Comptroller General, uh, you know, he was responsible for crunching all these numbers of uh the real obligations the federal government had, I said, well, yeah, why do you take this position, David? And he said, well, it's not political, it's a 15-year appointment, and, you know, I think I can make a difference. And, uh, as you know, he resigned probably after about five years or something like that because he got so frustrated of cranking out these numbers, uh, putting them in front of congressmen and nothing happening, you know. So he finally decided maybe getting out in the private sector made more sense. And do I have enough time to tell you a, pers- a personal story around that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you do.
1: Yeah, well, Bill, Bill Clinton in uh, his presidency had a Social Security Commission. Uh, David Walker was one of the members of that. And, uh, you know, there were 28 members, private, public sector, highly respected individuals who gathered very different views. And at the end of it, they embraced and unanimously agreed to support a series of changes to Social Security, which was quite an accomplishment. You know, combination of benefit cuts and some tax increases. Yeah. And you know, had that been embraced by the president, and something happened, uh, you know, that fund would be uh, in a better position than what it's in. But I was at a, at a board meeting, a board I was on, DC. And um, David Walker was there, and also John Bro, Senator Bro, who were two two members of that group. And so Senator Bro did a, a presentation. And he stood up and said, "Folks, yeah, we got a problem. Around two thousand thirty, we're going to run out of money." And my initial reaction was, "Well, it's great we finally have a leading Democrat saying we've got a problem because <laughs> that's you know one of the issues is." is there or isn't a problem but you know he was talking about 2030 uh, you're around this phantom uh, trust fund money that's you know nothing but government debt so during the Q&A time I uh, raised my hand and you know I said uh, senator know uh, yeah, I'm not an actuary or economist maybe that's my deficiency but are we gonna have a problem around 2014 when the tax revenues being collected annually for the retirement part of the system, become negative. You know when the benefits being paid exceed the taxes being collected, and he didn't know how to answer a question. He stammered around for a while, and he you know finally said, "You don't need to worry about it. We're going to protect it." <laughs> so I tell people I went home and said, "Well, I sleep better now. You know, knowing that you know they're going to protect it." And you know I'm, I'm laughing. You know then the tragic thing here is that nothing happened then, nothing's happened since then, and the longer that this goes without, you know, meaningful action, the more draconian the changes will be when they have to be made. I mean, you know, I'm a mathematician, you know. I see the numbers, you know, the logic. I mean, it's, you know, it's there. It isn't going to go away.
0: Yeah, you know, and and thanks for bringing Dave Walker in. Matter of fact, uh, uh, he did the uh, forward on my last book, Ted, and – Dave's actually become a personal friend at this point and he there's a guy he has incredible integrity so he was running for governor so I said he's got really good integrity so his chances are slim and uh and Dave announced last week that he's he's not going to be running for governor of Connecticut anymore but yeah he's just he has some impeccable integrity uh you know uh Ted and um I'm glad you brought him up because uh he he gets it and um and actually, uh, Dave Walker himself uses annuities to protect his own income. So, um, and he was the the top accountant for the United States. He headed the GAO. Am
1: I correct? Yeah, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, that was under his uh, wing, you know, when he had that position. Okay. Um, he, he he was also a Social Security trustee. I mean, he's you know got quite a background. So. yeah. Yeah. So. Very honorable guy.
0: Yeah, he has, he's 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 a nice guy. He tells the truth. Which I love. Um, the, um, what can you give us advice? Because, um, by the way, these uh, podcasts, Ted, if you, if you want to, uh, they'll be posted on my website, and you can put it on yours, which would be uh, probably helpful to you. Um, what do you suggest for, for young people starting out? Um, you know, if you, you have uh, children and grandchildren. So what would you say to them as, you know, an old sage in this stuff? What would you suggest to them?
1: Uh, well, probably for starters would be to not run up a lot of college debt unnecessarily beyond, at least, you know, beyond what makes some sense, <laughs> that would be first piece of advice, you know, to make some wise de- decisions regarding, um, uh, career and education. And, you know, I, we talk could talk about that for some time, but, you know, that's certainly, uh, a beginning point, uh. You know don't uh, don't go somewhere where you gotta pay forty fifty thousand dollars a year to get a your know, degree that isn't uh going going to uh you know lead you into a career that's worth paying that kind of money for um and uh you know beyond that uh boy just learn basic financial stuff you, you know how 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 to budget how to not get in debt and you know have high uh Interest rate uh, obligations that you got to pay off. Uh, you 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 learn learn to be a saver rather than a spender. Amen. Uh, Amen. We both, I'm sure, have had ex- enough Amen. experience to know that you're you're either one or the other. You know, and the and the problem with the spender is the problem is there's just not enough income. <laughs> but yeah. that you know even if income stream doubles uh doesn't take long you know before they're back in the same situation so uh, you know uh, learning to uh to spend less than what you make is a you know uh something probably is one of the most important things starting out
0: yeah, I, I, Amen, Ted. I couldn't agree. Uh, that this is the whole thing: is that people aren't saving today, and I, and I you know, I have a financial planning practice, and 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 uh, regrettably, most people. This is the problem, Ted. This is debt is the big, 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 big problem. And yep. and, and um, the, the thing is, is that the college debt is non-dischargeable. It's it's probably the most usurious uh, debt in the world right now. And um, so, great advice. Um, Ted, uh, let's do it again sometime. Let's keep in touch. It was great having you on, uh, and all success. Uh, full wishes for you on your next book, and um, thank you for being so much for being a part of the program. And let's keep in touch, my friend.
1: Barry, always a pleasure to be on with you. So uh, God bless. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at BarryJamesDyke.com. Who are the warriors?